When we moved into our house last year, about a year ago this month, um, we had some trees installed and some uh, fresh, brand new sod that looked amazing. And so I was really excited about having a good uh, lawn for the first time in my life. And then um, I, I didn't really know much about lawn care, really knew nothing. So my game was go to Home Depot, buy a Scott's bag of fertilizer with the highest amount of nitrogen in it, throw it down, water, pray, mow sometimes, and then you're just going to have like a golf course looking lawn. Apparently, that's not how it works. And so like all spring, I'm like looking at my grass and never like woke up out of dormancy and it started dying and thinning out, started getting all these weeds. And I'm just like, I don't know what, what I did. Uh, this is probably not a big deal. Well, after like the 10th neighbor who said, what's up with your grass? I figured out I'm probably thinking about this wrongly. Here's a picture. This is May. This is bad news. Like more than half of it, just one section is bad. And through the, the help of some friends, primarily uh, Jeremy Batchy and then a bunch of crazy people on YouTube, I learned that I was thinking about it all wrong. I wanted a thick, lush, green grass with no weeds, and so I was focusing on feeding the grass. What I should have been doing was focusing on feeding my soil. As you can tell in this picture on the bottom left, even on the top right, like the soil was, was just trash. There's like rocks and construction debris. It was mostly clay, just really bad uh, for anything to grow. And so while I had this really nice uh, Zeon Zoiza that was used in the 2016 Olympics, by the way, this is supposed to be Olympic grass. <laughs> it is not. Um, yeah, it's like, so um, it's just not, not working out. So I started to, in May, started to learn about how to take care of soil. I've learned about macronutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium and what those do. I've learned about the micros, which are, because I can't remember them, chlorine, zinc, iron, copper, magnesium. I've learned about humic acids and fulvic acids and cold water sea kelp. Don't even think about warm water sea kelp. That stuff's total trash. You want the cold water sea kelp. That's where it's at. I've learned on like when to water, how to water, why you shouldn't water at night, why you should water deep and infrequently, like once a week for an inch and that's it, why you should mow, uh, how you, how, the height, all that stuff, okay? So in five months, I went from knowing nothing to this is my grass this week. I'm so excited. Look at that. Thank, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? This is literally like around Mother's Day is on the left. It is awful. And just in five months of not paying attention to the grass, but paying attention to what's underneath the grass that I can't see, the soil, I've, I've diligently, with some information and some effort, have successfully began to create a, an environment and some soil that is conducive for Zoiza, and I would have to say it does look Olympic these days. Um, the front and the back have zero weeds, and often, like, people stop by and go, what kind of grass is this? They call it fancy grass. I was outside yesterday. Somebody was driving by, and they stopped just to ask me about my landscaping because it's now Olympic, right? So I share that, one, to just, ah, I'm so excited. But two is, I want that to kind of be a frame of reference today as we study Psalms 27, is that everybody wants what's on the outside, like, you know, the analogy is the green, healthy grass with no weeds. But in order to get some fruit, right, you got to look at and pay attention to the roots below the surface, right? I mean, think of this tree that's outside. It's like 100 years old. We've got a picture of a tree. It's not it. 
It's a close resemblance, though. But you can see, um, really, a healthy tree is the, is the result of a healthy uh, root system underneath, okay? And so as we look into Psalms 27, I'll, I'll just tell you, the thing that is so amazing about Psalms 27 is the confidence that David has that the Lord's going to save him, that God is his protection, God's his defender. I mean, it is an incredible amount of confidence, as we'll see, as we'll look. I'd say none of us have that type of confidence. He's literally surrounded by like the equivalent of a SEAL team who want him dead. And he's like, the Lord's going to deliver me. Right? We want that. That's kind of like the green grass. What I want you to look for as we read is what are the cultural practices that David is doing for his soul underneath all that that would produce great confidence in the Lord. Okay, If you want anything in your life to be healthy, whether that's your physical body or your finances or your emotional health or your relationships or your spirituality or even your front yard, you need to do at least three things. I'm making this up, right? But there's just like three things I think you need. Is one, you got to rely on God. You just have to lean on a higher power. The second is you got to learn to think deeply and critically about what's going on. Jesus came as a teacher. Think about that. He gave us a brain, which sets us apart from uh, all of creation. You got to rely on God, but if you want health and fullness in any area of your life, you have to use your noggin and, fit in, and gain knowledge and wisdom. There's a reason why Jesus came as a rabbi and a teacher. And the third thing is you got to put some effort into it. You can't be lazy. You got to be diligent. You got to get up off the couch and do something, right? So if you want health in your finances, you know, there you go. That's why we do Dave Ramsey, because he helps us to do all of those three things so easy, okay? Um, so the, uh, the, the big idea for today is, Psalm 27, is when we know the Lord, and not just like an intellectual knowledge, but when we have this kind of, um, I'd say like an interactive relationship with him or, or a communion with him, when, when we have a walk with the Lord, when we know the Lord and trust him, he helps us overcome the fears that paralyze us. You have, whether you realize it or not, there's a lot of things in your life that have the potential or are doing it right now to cause great fear and great anxiety in your life. And often they can paralyze you. You don't know what to do, right? David has this incredible confidence in the Lord that comes from knowing him. All things are possible. So let's uh, look at Psalm 27, it's page 460, if you want to use the Bible around you, we'll read it. And uh, it's, it's a really good psalm. It's one of the, the, the top ones that people read. And as we uh, read it, the obvious thing you'll see is, oh my goodness, David is legit. He is confident in the Lord. But what I want you to look for is how is he cultivating the soil of his heart? What's, he, what's the effort he's putting into that would produce this type of confidence? Verse 1, chapter 27 of Psalms. Very well, well known. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, when adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. 
Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. That's the key word. In this. You could sum up all of 27 in this one word, confidence. Verse 4. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Just incredible, the confidence that's there. His adoration of the Lord quickly turns to alarm in verse 7 and following. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother, have forsaken me, but not that the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Oh, <laughs> two of you got it. Good job. <laughs> verse one. Let's look at verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who, who knows that song from like Kids Church? Just me and you. Good job. All right. This is the first time in Scripture that, the, that, meta, that light is used as a metaphor for the Lord. First time. Now, prior, uh, he's often associated with light, you know, good and evil, light and darkness. But this is the very, very first time that light is mentioned as, a, as an analogy or a metaphor, as an image for who God is. Of course, Jesus will say, I'm the light of the world. John, the apostle, will write about that a lot. This is the first time. I just thought it was interesting. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold or the, I don't have much of it there, but he's the strength, the muscle of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? You could do a compare and contrast this. If the Lord is your light, you don't have to fear darkness. We were driving around last night. I had the windows down in my truck, and my five-year-old was like, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm like, why? He goes, it's dark. Like rolled up his window. Right? But darkness, right? You don't have to fear darkness when the Lord is your light or you have a daddy with a window. The Lord is your salvation or victory would be another translation. And so you don't have to fear defeat. The Lord is, the, is your strength. So you don't have to fear weakness. Now, in our lives, we all have darkness and defeat and weaknesses that we are and can be afraid of. David's saying, no, when the Lord's your light, when the Lord's your, your victory, when the Lord is your strength, you don't have to fear those things. Verse 2, 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble. This is crazy. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. Now, what's great about this is David is not pretending that there's not a problem, which is like sometimes what we do. We just like hear no evil, see no evil, speak no, I'm just going to pretend that nothing's going on and life's okay. David, keenly aware that there's issues at hand. This is not theory for David. Now, if you know the story of King David and King Saul, King, King David, uh, King Saul was like a bad king. <laughs> there ever was a bad king. King Saul was a bad, was a bad one. And uh, the Lord says, it's time for a new king. And so the prophet comes to Jesse, and Jesse has a bunch of sons, and he's like, here, here's my lineup of sons, and he forgets David because he doesn't think David's worth it. And the prophet comes and said, hey, aren't you missing one? He's like, oh, yeah, get David. He's out doing like the blue-collar stuff. They get David, and the prophet says, that's the one. And they anoint David as a kid to be king to take over leadership of the nation because the, the leader they got is awful, okay? And so David kind of jo- joins in. They begin some sort of apprentice process, I'm sure. And turns out David's really, really good at doing kingly stuff, and people really, really like him. In fact, he's twice as good, and he's twice as liked. And the bad king saw he's got a bit of an ego problem doesn't like it. And so he decides, I'm just going to kill him, <laughs> right? This is what uh, King Saul does. Now, imagine living in a world, to like, translate this in our context, which, which might be a trigger for some of you, but we're just going to go for it. But imagine uh, living in a world, like we elect presidents, but they don't take office. We elect them in November. They don't take office till like January. There's like some transition time. Imagine what if uh, we elect um, a president and that the president that's in office on his way out, decides, you know what? I don't like that new guy. Let's send the SEAL team after him and, and just do away with him. And imagine if he could do that and get away with it. That's David's world. Except he's the president-elect who's got a number on him. Okay. And so he literally has evildoers after him, wanting to devour his flesh, adversaries, foes. He has an army camped out against him, waiting for him to come out. He's got a war arisen against him. And this is a guy who is a man after God's own heart. He didn't ask for the job. He was tending sheep. Yet his heart shall not fear. What confidence do you have to have in the Lord to go, the SEAL Team 6 is at my door, but I'm not shaking in my boots. Pretty amazing, okay? Not theory. He learned this in the school of hard knocks. Verse four, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Have you ever um, had someone in your life that was pretty well off or wealthy or they had everything they want in, in like, you did some type of Christmas exchange or it's their birthday and the responsibility fell to you to get that person a gift. And you're like, what do you give somebody as a gift who has everything they want? Like I'm thinking like, like Tim Duncan. Like, like what does Tim's brother get him for his birthday? You know, like you got millions. You got like, like, what do you give that guy? A hug? I don't know. He probably didn't like that, knowing Timmy. So, so what, do you, what do you give somebody who's a king who's about to have everything he wants if he didn't die, this is the one thing David wants. This is incredible. Like, he could have anything. 
He's like, well, he's royalty. Like number one in the nation could have anything. And we, if you know David's life, you see how he takes advantage of that. But verse four, he says, the one thing that I've asked for, the one thing I seek after, I want to occasionally hang out in the house of the Lord. No. I want to dwell. I want to take off my shoes and, and, and kick up my feet. I want to take my hat off. And I, I want to be in the house of the Lord, in God's presence all the days of my life, not just for a weekend. And he wants to do these two things. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord with amazement and astonishment and delight. And he wants to inquire, investigate, learn more. He's inquisitive. He's curious. He wants to learn about him in his temple, which is kind of funny that he uses the word temple because at this time it's still a tent. His son hadn't yet built the temple or the palace. It's still a tent, but he calls it a temple, which makes me feel good about calling like a storage unit a church. You'll get it on the way home. All right. So um, the coffee is still kicking in. All right, verse Uh, Oh, there's great. Uh, David uses five words for the place of God's presence, and I love this. In in this verse, he uses a house, the, and temple, or palace. And in verse five, he uses three more places, or words, for God's presence. For he will hide me in his shelter, that's number three. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, number four. And he will lift me high upon the rock, number five. These are the five type of images that David uses to convey this sense of place where God's presence dwells. A shelter is like a temporary structure um, hearkening to the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths where they would build these like temporary like structures um, for the feast. It kind of, I don't know if this is a legit translation, but in my mind today, 21st century, I'm like, what's a temporary structure today? I think of like a tiny house. Like the Lord will hide me in his tiny house or the Lord will hide me in his uh, like the Mila coffee truck, you know, like this little bitty place that you could hook up to a truck and take away. The Lord's going to hide me there. No one's going to find me. I think maybe that's what David's talking about. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, like the one Moses built. My favorite is that he will lift me high upon a rock. David is in the wilderness. He's on the run. And he's like, the rock is my wilderness fortress of the Lord. There's a, uh, an old obscure worship song that probably most of you've never heard of. And the writer of it uses this line. He says, uh, you're my shield in the fire. You're my rock in the flood. And uh, when I was reading this, it reminded me of that image that God is our shield when the fire's all around us, and he's our rock when the flood waters of life rise. Uh, years ago, I was uh, kayaking with a buddy uh, on, I think, the Guadalupe River, and it was supposed to be this like quiet, um, like fall, peaceful. It was a Monday. There was supposed to be no one out on the river. And so we're just going to just go on the kayak and just go out. So we show up, and I'm not an outdoors guy. I want to be, but I'm not really. And, uh, and so he shows up, and he's got this brand-new life jacket. It's, like, all camoed, and he was really excited. And he puts it on, and I look for my life jacket. And, and he didn't have a life jacket for me. He said, don't worry. Like, we're not going to – it's going to be – we're just – it's just water. It's, it's smooth. And, like, he's doing some fishing, so it's going to be one of those days. So we get in. He's up front. I've got my backpack, I put my wallet, my phone in my backpack, and we're just going, and it's seeing all these cypress trees, it's gorgeous, you know, the Guadalupe. There's no one out, it's great. And then we turn this corner, I hear this sound of rushing waters. And we get closer, and I start to like, oh, it's not that bad, it's just a little dip and some rapids, and, um, and I'm, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to 
like steer off to the edge and get out and pick up my stuff and walk around and jump back in. And right as I make that decision, I see my buddy Andrew go for it. And then I see there's like maybe a dozen people out watching, and th then they see, oh, there's two kayakers, and they're watching the kayakers, and now I got an audience. <laughs> and the worst part of me won that day. It was like, I can't be the guy who skirts over there and gets out like, like a little baby. And, and so I'm like, this, I got this. And so I go down, and I did not have it. Immediately, I hit the rapid. I lose my balance, and I flip over. And uh, the, rat, the undertow grabs me, and I had asthma growing up. I don't have strong lungs. I can hold my breath for like three seconds. And I wasn't prepared to flip. So I flip, and I go under, and then my backpack is gone, and I, like, and I, I, can't, I can't grab my bearings, and I can't get up. And all of a sudden, like, I, really, I don't have breath in my lungs, and I'm about to like, involuntarily take a breath full of water. And, uh, and so I, I have this moment of like, this is how I'm clocking out. Like, I'm, I'm going to drown right here. And, and right as I'm about to, like, I can't take a breath, I'm about to take a breath, and I, I, I just reach up as I'm, I mean, I'm like moving fast. I reach up and I, I feel a rock, and so I grab it, and I hang on, my body keeps going, and I pull myself out and like lift myself up on the rock, and I like cough up water, and I look up, and I see the kayak going down, my backpack's floating, my phone, which is not in a bag, not in a Ziploc bag, it's, it's a toast. And I see my buddy Andrew just like, you know, just waiting just meandering on. And I look up, and there's the dozen people like, this idiot, he should have got out, you know? <laughs> and so when I see he will lift me high upon the rock, I think of that, that moment where I was lifted high upon the rock, coughing up water, and did not die. Because sometimes life is like that. When the, the, when the waters of life catch you by surprise and you do something stupid by not like going kayaking without wearing a life jacket, um, praise God for the rocks that you can grab and be lifted high upon that. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up out of the water above my enemies all around me, and I will, and Tiff talked about this, offer in his tent. There's a sense of gratitude. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David's always doing this. He's always singing and making melody to the Lord. And I love, uh, really, like the last year, um, our church has really grown in this, this area. We've still got a lot to improve, but um, uh, God has given us a great team in, in Tiff and Mark and Cameron and Catherine and, and the team that's in the back that's like the unsung heroes. I mean, can we give them just like a, like, we, we've got a great team of people to serve us. But most importantly, I've been so encouraged by you, by how you're, you just, you're just keep following after the Lord. And some of you are like learning how to clap. It's amazing. I heard like three of you clapping for about 15 seconds this morning, but you're like working on the clap muscles. And this is great. This is great. This is this, that we come into God's presence and we offer these sacrifices. We sing and make melody to the Lord. My uh, my first favorite sound in the world is hearing my boys giggle. My second favorite sound is to sit here on the front row and to not sing and to just listen to y'all sing. It's one of my favorite things to do. I like to sing, but I like to just hear you sing. Now, you can't do that because if everyone does that, then you don't hear, you, there's nothing to hear. But I secretly like to just, like, just, just listen. It makes me so happy. So these first, first six verses, amazing confidence. Honestly, if the army was encamped around you, 
with, their, with you in their sights, would you have this confidence that David has? I, I don't think that I would. Now, whatever's going on in your life, for sure it's not a real army, but there are other things in your life. I don't need to give examples. You, you, you're aware of the pain points and the pressures that you're afraid of. What's your confidence like? What's the secret to David's confidence in his Lord? I think the secret to his public confidence is, drumroll, his personal communion with God. He has a rich relationship with the Lord, with the maker of the mountains, with Yahweh. He knows his God. He communes with his God. And therefore, that's the soil of his heart, is he has fellowship with God. He knows God's character, the natural byproduct. He's not afraid all the time. I want to I throw up on the screen these two ideas. I want to contrast them to kind of give you a lens for what's, uh, what's underneath here. Is sometimes when you're afraid, you might hear the Lord say, fear not, for I am with you, which is awesome, right? So great. This is what Christmas and Advent is all about that God is with us, that God intentionally left heaven, he condescended, became a man, took on flesh, he's with us. The word we use around Christmas time is Emmanuel. God is with us. There's times in your life when you feel God is with you. Great, nothing wrong with that. It's very different than if you hear the Lord say, fear not, for you are with me. That's different. The first shows God's effort and intentionality to join you. The second shows your effort and your intentionality to join him. And this is what David is doing in, you see it in verse seven. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your, ang- your servant away in anger. Um, I got ahead of myself. Uh, but if you look up what we just read, one thing I seek after to dwell in his house, to inquire in his temple, to hide me in his shelter, to conceal me in his tent. You, you notice in the verses we've already read that David is very, very intentional about being with the Lord instead of, I'm not saying it's a bad thing because we often pray, come Holy Spirit, and we ask for God to come to be with us. That's great. I'm not dogging on that. But here we see David intentionally chasing after the Lord. I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, ask, seek, knock. This is what James is talking about when he says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. One of my favorite um, quotes by Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite authors, is grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Think about this. Now, often, we in the church, we uh, share the gospel, which is because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, by no merit of your own, you have life, salvation, peace, shalom, you're good. Not because you did anything, but because he did. Jesus said it's finished, right? Okay. But sometimes what people miss here in that is that they don't have to do anything to receive God's help or his presence in their life. Willard says that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We don't earn God's love. However, 
there's, there's effort involved, okay? Um, a great, great way to think about this is if you want to run a marathon, you don't just try to run a marathon, but you do put some effort and you train. And because you train, you are able to run a marathon, okay? If you want to learn French, you don't just try really hard and, uh, oui, you know, you say like more than one word. <laughs> but you do train, you learn vocabulary, you learn grammar, right? You learn that. There's some effort involved. And so in our spiritual life, okay, this is what Dave is talking about. Um, now, here's where, like, people might cry legalism or workspace. No, 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 we're not, we're not talking about that. Um, some people read their Bible, and they pray, and they come to church, and they worship, and they give, and they serve, and do all these things so that God would love them more. That's just trying to earn more of God's love. And then there's people who do those same things, those same disciplines. They read, they pray, they worship, they serve, they give, they do those things. And they put that effort in, but with the right motivation, by the help of God's Spirit, what happens is they do not earn more of God's love, however they do feel and receive and experience more of God's love. Not because they did anything to earn it, but because they put themselves in position to receive more of it. I think of it as you got a bucket, you want water in it, you got to get under the spigot to get it. That's what we're talking about when we say you got to seek after God. You have to ask, knock, draw near, put some effort into the game. We're not saying you got to earn it and that if you do it, God will love you more. We're just saying grab your bucket and align yourselves where God is and receive more of his spirit. That's all we're saying, okay? This is what David is exemplifying. I think it's what he's doing underneath the surface to allow the thick green grass with no weeds that's Olympic which is confidence in the Lord. Let's jump to um, the very end. I got a bunch of other stuff. I'm just going to go straight to verse 14, which I think is the practical thing for us today. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and here is the controversial things that we Western, postmodern, 21st century Americans do not like to hear. Wait. Wait for the Lord. There, I, I think I still have it. Oh, this is great. I have this uh, in my Bible. I was not planning on saying this, but... Um, and for years, we prayed for a worship leader. And I was really discouraged one day. And, and one day, Amanda Asol, she I think she texted me or said something. She says, Drew, we're not waiting on a worship pastor. We're waiting on the Lord. And so I wrote that. It's actually right here. Still on January 30th is when she told it to me. And that was the hardest thing for me is just to wait, just to stop. We don't like doing this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He says it a second time just in case we miss it the first time. What does it mean? What do you think it means to wait for the Lord? Think about that. Like, what's your, de- you don't have to don't answer a lot, but what's your definition? Well, what does it mean to wait in the Lord? For some people, they think it's like a, a cosmic timeout. Like the Lord said, go in the corner, you're in trouble. Some people think it's a prison or whatever, but, but what does it mean to wait on the Lord? I used to think it meant sitting in my spiritual lazy board chair, bored, twiddling my thumbs, and waiting for God to do something. One commentator defines waiting for the Lord like this, to be alert with tiptoe expectancy. I love that. Love this picture of waiting. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? 
It means that you're watchful, you're engaged, you're alert, but you're on your tiptoes and you're expectant. This is what David is saying. He's on his tiptoes waiting for any moment for God to come in and save the day. Uh, Longfellow has a great quote. It's so true, and I hate it. The mills of God grind slowly. God's never in a hurry. I think Karen told me sometimes she calls him Jehovah, Jehovah in the nick of time or something like that. It's a joke. The meals of God grind slowly. Jesus was often busy. Jesus was never hurried. He's never hurried. God's n- we're always, I'm always in a hurry. I'm in a hurry to finish this sermon because you're in a hurry to get to lunch. God is not in a hurry, never is. This is so like us. It's like we like to get ahead of what God's spirit is doing. There's an industry. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Don't put the picture up yet. There's an industry in our, in our day. It's worth $11 billion with a B right now. It's expected to grow a measly 2 to 3% over the next three years. By 2022, this industry will be worth $12.7 billion. It's only going to grow 2%, not a whole lot. You know what industry it is? It's the microwave industry. In the next... Three years, financial experts say that the microwave market is going to increase by only 2%, sad for those investors. And it'll only be worth from 11 billion today, 12.7 billion in three years. If you take that 1.7 billion, divide it by whatever uh, three years is, you get one and a half million dollars a day it increases. Think about that. Tomorrow when you wake up, the microwave industry will be worth $1.5 million more than when you woke up today for three years, like clockwork. Some of you are going to go invest in microwaves when you get home. (laughs) The numbers don't lie. Data doesn't lie. We don't like to wait. I mean, forget cooking with fire. Forget that oven that we have. Give me a box with a button that says 30 seconds on it because we don't like to wait. Even worse, fast food. Global market for fast food, $570 billion. In America, $200 billion. In 1970, it was worth $6 billion. From 1970 to, to X, 2015 was, was the latest numbers. It's grown from $6 billion to $200 billion in 45 years. That's how much we as Americans don't like to wait. I love Amazon same-day shipping. I bought something for my son on Amazon on on Sunday, it came on Thursday. How dare they? I had to wait. However many days, I can't do math when I'm preaching. I had to wait till Thursday when I ordered something on Sunday. It was blasphemy. What are they doing? Right? We don't like to wait because we think we're in charge. And this is the message that David gives us today, is that when life is crushing you, wait for the Lord. Stop your frantic, anxious manufacturing and manipulating. Get your hands off the wheel. Wait for the Lord. It's not a sentence. It's not cosmic timeout. It's actually a blessing that you don't have to fix it. When, Jesus, when, when, when we're given this command to go wait for the Lord, that should be a relief because it means it's not your responsibility anymore that he will take care of the enemies or whatever situation is that you're fearful of. It's in his hands, that cliche, let go and let God. It's cliche for a reason. 
because it works. It's true. So I want to um, close by just, what does that look like? Um, you should be sitting on this. <laughs> you know, like, what's, what, are you, what are you holding up? You're sitting on it. And it's this, uh, just two things I'd ask you to do this week. If, if this hits home to you and you're struggling with fear, anxiety, or you've got some version of a, a war at your doorstep, and you don't know how to wait for the Lord, and you're like me, you'd rather have the 30-second microwave than, um, than an oven, there are these two things that I've, these, I've, been, I've been practicing these, and it has helped me. Oh, I mean, this is probably for four years I've been doing this. And if you knew me seven years ago, and you knew me four years ago, and you knew me today, you'd know I'm a different person emotionally. This is why. Two things I want to encourage you to do is one, practice regular times of silence and solitude every day. We live at such a frantic pace with, with this barrage of information and a lot of it's bad news. Even as I say, hey, you need to take three times a day where you just still. My nature goes, I don't have time for that, which should be proof that you need it. <laughs> so here's what I do. I'm not saying this might not work for you, but this is what I do. Morning, noon, and night. It just take at least 60 seconds. We all have three minutes in our day to do this. And I just close my eyes and I do this. I'm, it might be awkward, but this is what I do. And I exhale all the way. And I'm really, oh man, I'm like breathing short and shallow. I just do that for 60 seconds. And I focus my breathing and my mind on the Lord and I turn things off close my eyes. And I usually pray the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's a pray something like that. I have this in my, in my phone. Uh, every day I get these alarms that tell me to stop whatever I'm doing. I might even be in a parking lot and I just put my head on my steering wheel. It takes 60 seconds. Wait for the Lord. <laughs> the world is not on my shoulders. My situation is not on my shoulders. I want to encourage you if you think, like, if, you, if you find yourself where you can't take confidence in the Lord and struggle with fear, try it. It works. And the second is this great prayer, very Trinitarian. I hijacked it from um, John Eldridge. And I want to encourage you to try it. I want to close us by praying this. I want to encourage you to take this, put it in your Bible. And the next time you feel like an army is encamped around you, pray this prayer, okay? So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to take 60 seconds, and I want you to do what I just did. We're going to practice it all together and be awkward together. And I want you to, to slow your breathing, slow your heart rate, seriously. Just be silent for a little bit. Just welcome God's presence into your emotions and your body. Heavenly Father, thank you for granting to me every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I claim the riches in Christ over my life today. I bring the blood of Christ over my spirit, my soul, my body, over my heart, my mind, my will. I put on the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation. I take up the shield of faith in the sword of the Spirit, 
And I choose to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might to pray at all times in the Spirit. Jesus, thank you for your angels. I summon them in the name of Jesus Christ and instruct them to destroy all that is raised against me. And whatever you're feeling in the moment, maybe it's anxiety, I just say it to destroy all the anxiety that is raised. Just name that sucker and pull it out of the darkness and into the light. Trust me, it helps. To establish your kingdom over me, to guard me day and night, I ask you to send forth your spirit to raise up prayer and intercession for me. I now call forth the kingdom of God throughout my home, my household, my kingdom, and my domain in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving all glory and honor and thanks to him. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. I love you. I worship you. I trust you. I receive all the work and triumph and Pentecost through which you have come. You have clothed me with power from on high, sealed me in Christ, become my union with the Father and the Son, the spirit of truth in me, the life of God in me, my counselor, comforter, strength, and guide. I honor you as Lord, and I fully give you every aspect and dimension of my spirit, soul, body, my heart, mind, and will to be filled with you, to walk in step with you in all things. Fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. Restore my union with the Father and the Son. Lead me into all truth. Anoint me for all of my life and walk and calling. And lead me deeper into Jesus today. I receive you with thanks and I give you total claim to my life. In Jesus' name.